Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. And we will pick up where we left off last week, which happens to be the uh, evening of the resurrection. So it's in verse 19, John 20, verse 19. And I'll be reading to the end of the chapter. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, But believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You can be seated. Well, for the past nine months, we have been studying the book of John. And as we've been studying it, we've seen that John is presenting to us Jesus. That Jesus was the Son of God who became incarnate, took on flesh, in order that he might become the Lamb of God, in order to pay the penalty of our sins, that he might take away the sins of the world. And that's so exciting to me as I, as I, we enter this time of the year and we were celebrating the incarnation of Christ to remember that Jesus didn't come just to pay the penalty of a few people's sins. He came to pay and to die for the sins of the entire world. And so as we consider the gift, as we go through, not today, but the gift of what God has given to us, to remember that, again, it's not just for me. It's for all men. That he died for the sins of all mankind. And he desires for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So Jesus is that individual. So over the past couple weeks, we've considered then the fulfillment of that, that 
This is the purpose of his writing. And over these past couple weeks, we've considered the fulfillment of that. From the time that Jesus began then to, to reveal the greatness of his love to his disciples. And specifically doing that by paying for their sins on the cross. And so we saw Jesus standing before Pilate. Pilate asking him, what is truth? And the question really is, who is truth? And that's Jesus. Jesus is truth embodied. And so Jesus then dies on the cross. But the last thing he states as he's dying on the cross is the statement of fulfillment. Tetelestai. That in his act, what he is doing on that cross, if you would, the altar, he is fulfilling all that needed to happen for your sins and my sins to be paid for. Nothing else needed to be accomplished by him or by you. But three days later, to fulfill his words and to show and to attest that the sacrifice was accepted, Jesus was risen from the dead. That gives us the living hope that we've been talking about in Sunday school with First Peter. It's the living hope that goes for us today that it's not in this life only that we have hope, but rather because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we know that this tent that we live in is just temporal, that one day we're going to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord because of what Christ has done for us. And so Jesus, when he came back, right, he appeared first to who? Anybody remember last week? Who did he appear to? Mary Magdalene. Okay, what an incredible opportunity. Think about that. You know, he didn't appear to Peter. He didn't appear to the Herod. He didn't appear to Pilate. You know, he didn't appear to, you know, that would have been kind of something if you were Pilate, huh? And, and, and he was the first guy that, you know, hey, by the way, I'm still here. Anyways, that would have been really kind of cool. Anyways, but he appears to Mary Magdalene, a woman who had seven demons cast out, okay? Who, from the, from the Jew's perspective, okay, as a woman, she would be even lower class. But then even that, she's, a, she's a, just a... Uh, unclean individual because she had all these demons, right? And that's the first person Jesus appears to. Does anybody know the, the second ones that the, the second occurrence of his appearing? It's not here in John. On the road to Emmaus. It's in your introduction to your sermon note sheets. That's right. And so, um, so to the two guys on their way to Emmaus, could you imagine that? We're not told who they were. Not necessarily were they part of the 12 or the 11 at this point, you know, getting rid of Judas Iscariot. You know, and so these guys are just walking back. They're, we're not told necessarily. We're told one of their names, but we're just, who are these guys? You know, just kind of walking along, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus kind of starts walking up with them. We're told that sometimes we entertain what? Angels unaware. When it's been kind of a moment, huh? You're just kind of walking along, and this guy says, what's going on? You know, why are you guys so downtrodden? Well, don't you know what's going on? Well, no, tell me about it. And so they start telling about how Jesus, and he says, well, who's this guy? And so they, they talk, and he says, oh, you, you're foolish to not know. And then, then he began to open up the scriptures. Could you imagine that? He began to open up the scriptures and to teach them with the authority, and letting them realize how much had been talked about in the Old Testament about himself. And they said later, he said, did not our hearts burn within us while he was teaching, right? Well, when Jesus does communion with them, right, and then he, take, then he, then he vanishes, he leaves, what's the first thing they do? Anybody remember? They go back. They go back from Emmaus to Jerusalem. Where do they go? 
to the disciples. They know exactly where the disciples are. They're in the upper room, right? So they go back to this upper room and they tell them. And so, and the disciples are saying, yeah, and he, and he appeared to, he appeared to, to Mary as well. You know, this is really kind of exciting kind of stuff. And so they're in this room and they're, they're kind of mauling this thing over. Okay. And this is where we kind of pick this thing up. Okay. And Jesus is going to appear now twice to them in the upper room. The next two appearances that we know of, okay, are to these disciples in the upper room. The, the night in which he resurrected, we'll talk about that in a moment, and then eight days later, okay? So we're still on the same day. Now, just as, as an aside as well, and when you read it, we read in, in John uh, 19 there, um, 20, verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, um, the word evening there really is late afternoon, okay? And, and I, I have some passages I can give them to you if you want to go look at it, but you can look up the, the Greek word and you can kind of look at it, okay? But it's late afternoon. So we, when you hear evening, I don't know about you, but I think evening is after 6 o'clock, right? Okay? So again, remember, this is what we talk about with the Jewish concept of twilight and that kind of stuff between the... Between the okay? So, so this is late, late, late afternoon, like getting into ready to have dinner, okay? So like for us now with the sun going down, you know, it's like it could be potentially getting dark type stuff, okay? So it's late, late, late. Um, afternoon is what they're talking about, okay? But it's not yet, because what happens at after sundown for the Jewish calendar? It's a new day. So this is the same day, the very, very end closing of the day, okay? So just, not that's a big deal, but you just kind of put the, the setting for you, okay? So they're, they're in the upper room, and, and we're told that they're in the upper room because they're fearful. They're fearful of, of the Jews, okay? And so on this first visit, Jesus is going to do something. He's going to give them their mission, okay? This is an exciting time. But I don't want to forget the fact of where they were when all this happens, okay? They, Mary's seen them. The two disciples, they were heading to Emmaus, come back, and they what? They've seen them. Now, they're probably still wondering about Mary. Does that make sense? I mean, if, if he was going to come back and he was going to appear to somebody, who do you think he'd appear to? Well, let's get back into this argument. Well, it clearly appear to me because I'm the da 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 Or he would clearly clear to me because I would da 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 Now, I'm not saying these guys are arguing again, but they tend to argue about this all the time, don't they? I mean, even when Jesus is getting ready to die for them and he's giving them the, the, the bread and all this kind of stuff, they're arguing about who the greatest is, right? And so you can kind of see them and they're like, why would he appear to Mary? I mean, Peter and John, we were what? Well, we were favorite, but we were just there. We were there. Why didn't we see him? Did you guys ever um, do the Narnia series? Okay. I like the Narnia series. Okay. And, but it was Lucy who sees Aslan, right? And the other ones are all upset because why? They didn't see him. He could have. This is, I'm thinking specifically right now, Prince Caspian. Okay. And so for those of you who don't know it, then you're like Shh, out there. But if you get it, you, you're tracking with me. Okay. And so there's four of the kids, right? But the only one who's seeing him is Lucy. Okay? He could have appeared to all four of them, but he didn't. And they debated the same thing. And so they went in opposite way because they couldn't believe that he'd only appear to Lucy and he wouldn't appear to them. And so I can, I can almost picture the disciples kind of struggling a little bit. In the, and then these two guys coming from Emmaus come back. Well, they're nobodies too. I mean, they're not part of the 11. 
you know? And so, but they come in and say, we've seen him. He appeared to us and he taught us. And this is really kind of cool. And you kind of wonder, and, and he took us to Deuteronomy, da, 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 da. You know, they wouldn't call it, they would call it Havadavarim. But anyways, but and, and so he's, he's going to all these different places and more, they went to the, the prophets and all this kind of stuff. And for our hearts were burning within us. And then he broke the bread and then he, and he gave us the juice. And then it's like our eyes were open and we realized how long could he be with us? And we didn't recognize who this guy was. And poof, he was gone. And you're sitting here, you're going, and you're pondering this whole thing like, I don't know what's going on, but we're still in this supper room because we're fearful the Jews are going to come and get us, right? You guys ever heard of Don Francisco? He's an old singer, old Christian singer. Sings ballads, kind of stuff. Um, so he sings scriptures, really what it is. And, um, and, and um, he has a song, it's called, he, he's alive, right? Yeah, and it's about Peter hiding in the upper room. You know, and he, and he hears this, um, the sound of soldiers' feet. And then he looks out the window, though, and it's only Mary. <laughs> and so, but anyways, but I, I love it because he's, he's, trying to, he's trying to bring that concept of what's happening. And, you know, Peter meets Jesus, and he's alive, and, and, he's, and he's forgiven, and all that kind of stuff. It's just a great song. Anyways, but I love the beginning part of it because that's, it sums up where these guys are at. They're in fear. That's where Jesus meets them. Do you get it? You ever have times when you're fearful? Like you're kind of anxious about the moment and you don't know what you're going to do? It doesn't take him by surprise. And next week, David's going to be teaching from um, chapter 21 with um, him coming specifically, Jesus coming specifically to Peter about the love. I, I, I love how God records the failures and frailties of his people. And he still uses them. And he wants to use them. So as we go into this, this is exciting stuff, but I want to paint the picture of where this is all starting. You got a bunch of guys who are still struggling. And it doesn't take Jesus by surprise. He's good with it. He's going to take these guys who, who are just really honestly, straight up, they're a bunch of nothings. If you think you're something, you've missed it. Okay? God uses nothings to confound the things that think they're something. God uses the weak to confound the strong. You're nobody. And people say, you got a bad self-image. i got a great self-image. Everything I am is because of Christ. Do you get it? That's where you need to be. Okay? So Jesus is going to come. And now we have the commissioning of the disciples, right? And what's really exciting is... is he starts off with this peace be unto you. And you can say, well, this is just a greeting. And it is, okay? But he says it first as a greeting. But then he gives it to him again. He says, no, look, look, guys. I'm giving you peace. Shalom. Okay? And he says, but then he empowers them. Okay? And he tells them this right off the bat. Right off the bat. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. As the Father has apostelloed me, I'm going to pimpo you. Now, words are important, okay? And so you can see on here, we've talked about this in the past, that the, the words, the apostello, literally is an official sending out, okay? And so in Jesus' prayer in John 17, he says, As you sent me into the world, talking to the Father, I also have sent them into the world, apostelloed, okay? So Jesus has already stated the, the, state, the, the fact that we are being officially sent out. Okay, so this is not a slam at this very moment that they're not being officially sent out. They're going to be officially sent out. They are being officially sent out. But the word pempo 
literally means to push out, to send out, okay? Generally meaning with friction. So in my brain, I picture it like a steak knife being sent through the steak. If you have a sharp knife, it, it, it sends through the, the, the steak what? A whole lot easier. But regardless of whether it's dull or whether it's fresh, whether it's sharp, there's still a friction point when it's going through there. Do you get it? There's, it's cutting through something. And so as you send something, there, there is, it's, there's friction that's going along with it. Okay? I won't tell you how I remember the word pempo from when I was learning Greek. <laughs> Anyways, but that's exactly what it means. Think about that. You know, you, when you squeeze that, in a, you're sending it, sending it forth right out there. There's a little bit of friction that goes on, isn't it? Boop! And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with you. Do you get it? Isn't that a great picture? All oh, yours is it. So anyways, so, but you are being sent officially that way. You have, again, as we talked about with the, um, the, the Advent Reflection, you have been given authority. You have exousia. He is apostelling you. He is sending you officially, and he's pushing you, thrusting you into the world so that you can serve him. So that you can, we'll talk about it, make him known, because that's going to be the second part. He's going to give him the message. But first of all, the mission is this is empowerment. I'm not going to go through all the verses. You can read all these verses, right? But he's empowering us to do these things, okay? And secondly, then, he gives us this endowment. This endowment. An endowment like you've never gotten before. What is it? It's the Holy Spirit. I think people read past this passage and they, they downplay this passage. I read a lot of commentaries on this, um, even this week, just kind of refreshing my brain on this. And it's amazing to me how many people downplay this passage. And I... Straight up, Bob thinks this is the beginning of the church. Okay? I don't think Acts 2 is the beginning of the church. I think Acts 2 is a demonstration of the beginning of the church. But to me, and and I could be wrong, and I'm okay. I mean, we can battle over theologies and when things start, and that doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't. Okay? But what signifies the church age to me is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in individuals. He didn't indwell before. But... What Jesus does here is so profound. He breathes on them. Now, the other night, I was sitting close to somebody on Wednesday night, and I was helping them with their verses, and they did this kind of thing as I was talking to them. I said, does my breath stink? (laughs) And there's a little child that says, yeah, sorry about that. Anyways, that poor kid, if I went on... It would have been flaying in the spirit. Anyways, so <laughs> they would have been knocking over. Anyways, so, but that's what Jesus, he breathes on them. And you say, what, what's the big deal about that? This goes all the way back to, do I have it here? Yeah, Genesis chapter 2. And Yahweh, Elohim, formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Who is Jesus? He's Yahweh incarnate. Remember John 8, 24. Unless you believe I am, I am. Unless you believe I am Yahweh, you will die in your sins. Do you know how you get eternal life? By being saved. Yes, yes, yes. That's our side of it. We accept Christ as our Savior. 
But picture, I mean, this is a picture thing. This is an experiential thing, okay? Sorry about this. But it's like God doing resuscitation on you. He's breathing into you eternal life. Man was just, think about it, when God formed man out of the dust of the ground, what was he? Mr. Potter? What was he? He was just clay. I got him, I, I should have brought it. And I have on my, on my dresser, on the, I like a little jewelry box kind of thing that I hardly ever use anyways, but it sits there for, as a pedestal for this head. It's a bald-headed guy with a mustache. I made it when I was in eighth grade. My mom was getting rid of all the, the trinkets and junks and stuff a couple years ago and gave it to me. I can't throw it away. That's got this bald guy who stares at you. Anyways, and so, but that's all Adam was. Do you get it? That's all Adam was. God formed a piece of clay into a man. Am I doing that kind of right? Does that look kind of close? Anyways, and he, and he formed into a man. And this piece of clay is just kind of there. Until God what? <sighs> Breathes into him. The breath of life. Neshama of life. And this is kind of fun stuff. Again, I've shared this in the past. I think it was when we are going through John. But your neshama is your breath from inside you. But if you lose your neshama, you lose what? Your life. Because... We say life is in the blood, but the reality is there's a couple different life forces. You have your brain, right, which is your electrical impulses, your neurological system, but you also have breath. Isn't that kind of cool? Three forms of life within you. Anyways, so we'll go, let that go. Anyways, but so if you lose, you get that breath knocked out of you, you're like feeling like you're dead, you know, like, oh, this is awful. And so, but what do you do if the neshama is, is knocked out of you? What happens all the time? You're doing it like without thinking about it right now. You're losing your shama. Your, your neshama is coming out of you. So you have to have this other breath from outside of you that's going to keep you alive. That's called the ruach. That's the wind, the breath, the spirit. So the spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the, then the Kadesh ruach of God, the holy ruach of God. It's God who sustains your life. Do you get it? And so Jesus, at this very moment, this is a picture that they get. He was breathing into them the Spirit. He was breathing into them eternal life. This is the moment that he's standing in the place of Yahweh, doing what only Yahweh could do. And so the importance of the act, but then the importance of the gift, it's this Holy Spirit then is to seal them, okay? It's, it's that which is going to keep them forever, Okay, what I mean, I, I, we like to talk about the empowering of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. And so Acts chapter two and how they came upon the, the disciples and they did all this stuff. But the reality is the most important thing that that Holy Spirit does for you, that Holy Spirit, like he's a, like it's not an individual. What he does for you, OK, is that he seals you to the day of redemption. OK, so back John seven, Jesus has stated on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He wasn't going to be given until after Jesus died and was raised from the dead. Do you get it? And now he died and he was raised from the dead, so Jesus is what? He's fulfilling what was 
declared to happen, right? So that we then would be sealed. So Ephesians chapter 1, a lot of passages that are here, and we can go through some of them, but anyways, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed. With what? With the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the what? Guarantee. The guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Think about this. What kind of a guarantee would it be if you could lose your salvation? What kind of God is he? It'd be a limited lifetime warranty. Yeah, that's exactly right. Think about it. And, and that's exactly why companies do that, right? Because they don't want it. Can you tell me anybody who, didn't give a, who gave a lifetime warranty? Craftsman. That's exactly right. Craftsman was owned by Sears. We're Sears today. I used to use Craftsman all the time, but now it's a perfect proof of it. Because even anyone on the earth who wants to give the perfect guarantee can't really assure it because they don't know what's coming up. God is the only one who gives the perfect eternal guarantee. Isn't that exciting? And he's placed himself in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's placed the Holy Spirit in the, to seal you to the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Now he establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God, who has also sealed us and given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Why does he then do that? He does that in order for us to be given authority, right? This one is a struggle with in order that you might have the authority and the power to represent him on the earth. We don't like the word entitlement, but the reality is that God has given you an entitlement. Your entitlement is that you can either retain or to remove or retain sins. So, Afiami, Afiami, um, Afiami, however you want to say it, um, literally is the word which we see translated as forgive, but it means to pardon or to put away, to send away. Scapegoat. Think scapegoat. Okay? How the scapegoat was sent away concept. Okay? The aphasis, literally then, it, the, when you have the theme given to you, it's a pardon, a freedom, or a liberty. Okay? We're going to see some of this in some of these things. Um, and then um, to retain... Or to hold is the word from krato, okay, meaning strength or might, okay. So you're going to hold on to something because you have the ability. So you're going to snatch it. You're going to hold on to it, okay. So I want to look at some of these, okay. Matthew 16. So let's go to Matthew 16. And um, because you should have the questions that I have, right? Because when you read this, that you can either retain somebody's sins or you can what? You can forgive their sins. That sounds pretty hard, right? Because remember, what did the Jews say when the, when the paralytic boy was let down? Did Jesus heal that paralytic boy? He didn't heal, he didn't heal the paralytic boy. He forgave his sins. And what did, what did all the, the, the Jewish leaders say when he did it? Blasphemy, why? Ooh, only God can forgive sins, right? But what we talked about as well is when I get saved, I what? I become a 
child of God, and, and a joint heir of Christ, and the, his exousia is shared with me. This is going to cause your toes to tingle just a little bit, isn't it? I mean, already you're starting to think, oh, oh, where are we going with this one? I'm not going necessarily a whole lot of places other than we're going to read Scripture, okay? So let's read Matthew 16, verse 19, right? So Matthew 16, verse 19. I'm going to start at verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, to Peter, Blessed are you, Shimon Barjona, for, you, for flesh and blood does not reveal, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and also I say to you that you are Petros, Okay, you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Hmm. Okay, keep going. Matthew 18, turn the page, probably. Okay, beginning verse 15. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to even hear the church, then let him be to you as a heathen or a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Can I ask you first, before as we keep moving on, do you believe that Jesus speaks truth? Even when it causes your toes to tingle and, 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 your, and your brain to spin because you can't fully... Can't. And even when you don't want to believe what you think maybe you, you're hearing? Okay, so let's keep going on. First Corinthians five. Beginning of verse one, we read It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. That's pretty bad. That a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved, delivered in the day of the Lord Jesus. What's Paul telling the church of Corinth to do? Take this unrepentant believer and do what with him? Hand him over to Satan. I've been a part of that once many years ago where there was an individual who was unrepentant. He was cheating on his wife and da-da-da-da. Wouldn't come to the door when me and another pastor were there. He was in a trailer. We could hear him inside. Ah, that preacher. Anyways, and so, anyways, we sent a... A certified letter, you know, he still didn't respond. So as a church, we got together and we handed him over to Satan. So his flesh will be destroyed, but his soul will be saved. That's not a fun thing to do. But 2 Corinthians chapter 2, turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 5, we read, But if anyone has, a, has caused grief, he has not grieved me. 
Guess who he's talking about? But all of you, to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the name of Christ, in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So what did this guy do after he was chastened by the church? He repented. He repented. And so now Paul's saying what? Take him back. Restore him. Okay? Don't retain the sin any longer. Make sense? Rather what? Forgive the sin. Acts chapter 2. So, verse 37, context. Now, when they, the crowd, heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the what? For the remission of sins. And when you do that, you shall receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Ah, What is... The primary purpose of the church. We're going to see it in just a moment. But you ought to know it. You have authority. You have exousia. It's been given to you. You're sent out apostello, right? So you have authority. And clearly, now, I don't know if you're you're reading it this way. You have authority to do what? To do what, Phyllis? Not just to call out sin. Say it again. To To forgive the sin. Or to not to forgive the sin. But our ultimate purpose is to do what? Make disciples. Make disciples. Go out and make disciples. Whenever you're going out and you're making disciples, who do you meet? Non-disciples, which means that you're what? Sinners. Sinners. Do you understand? So does anybody know what the the, um, unpardonable sin is? What's the unpardonable sin? Blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Very good. This is exactly right. Jesus said so. You can, you can blaspheme him. It'll be forgiven you. But anybody who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, it's not forgiven them. Okay? What's the job of the Holy Spirit? We just went through this with John, right? What's, what does the Holy Spirit do? You know, he leads us into all truth. But in the world, what does he do? He convicts the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment. Do you get it? And so if you reject the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there's no hope for you. Okay. So you now are being sent out, you are then endowed with what? The Holy Spirit living inside of you in order for you to go out and do what? Be used of Christ to convict men of sin. With the desire being what? That they would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. To fulfill the desires of of God. But we go out sometimes Let's be honest. And we see people, and they what? They bother us. They offend us. 
We don't like them. And so we don't want them to hear the truth. We'd rather see them condemned. Just like Job. I'm not quite, well, his friends. And you have the power. Think about this. You have the authority. You have the power. You have the privilege. In your hand. In your breath. To breathe on them the word of life that they might live. And you retain it. And you refrain from sharing it. Do you know what you do when you meet somebody who's in sin and you don't give them the gift, the privilege to repent? Say again, Nadia. In a sense, your blood is on, their blood is on your hands. It's Ezekiel, the watchman on the watchtower. If you see the enemy coming and you don't tell the city, and the city is destroyed, their blood is on your hands. But if you see the enemy coming and you tell them and they reject you, reject your message, the blood is on, on them. You have the power, do you get it? To forgive or to retain. It's your power. You have that authority to do it. That's pretty impressive. So what's the last line? What's the bottom line on that? It's not on your sermon note sheet. That's the warning. That's the warning. Matthew chapter 6. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's part of the, the, the Lord's model prayer where we read, forgive us as we... As what? Ooh, as we forgive others. Forgive me of my sins as I forgive others. No, I really don't want it that way. I want you to forgive me, not like I forgive others. I want you to forgive me in a magnanimous way beyond what I'm able to do. But Jesus went on, that's why it's verse 12 and then verse 14 and 15, because after the model prayer, he says, because if you will not forgive others their sins, neither will your Father forgive you your sins. That's an ouch, isn't it? Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2, judge not lest you be judged and with what judgment you judge others it shall be measured unto you ouch matthew 18 verses 21 and 22 peter said to the lord how many times must i forgive them seven times no i say to you 70 times seven times in other words way beyond and then verses 23 down to verse 35 he gives a parable he gives an illustration of a of a servant who was called in by the boss because by his owner he owned him a couple hundred bucks, but the guy didn't have the couple hundred bucks bringing in our, our day, right? He didn't have the couple hundred bucks to pay him. He says, extend mercy to me, extend mercy to me, and, and give me time and I'll pay all. But the master said, I'll do better than that. I will give you a fee, me, a phasis. I will pardon your iniquity. I will pardon what you owe me. And he forgave him all of his debt. And the first thing that guy did was he went out and he saw another guy that owed him money. And he grabbed him by the jugglers and said, pay me all that you have or you're going to get thrown into prison. The guy says, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, I I messed up the story. He owes the master millions of dollars. This guy only owes him a couple hundred bucks, right? Sorry. Sorry. I flipped that around. Major, major change. Okay. So he, he forgives him millions of dollars, right? And this guy goes out after he's been forgiven. And he says to the other guy, no, I won't forgive you. And he throws him into the debtor's prison. So everyone around him was bothered by that. And they go to the master and they said, look, this doesn't seem to be right. And the master says, no, it's not right. So he calls the first guy in, right? 
And he says, I forgave you millions and you can't even forgive this guy hundreds? You don't need the hundreds to pay me back because I just forgave you millions. And so what does he do with that guy? Say again? He throws him into prison so that the tormentors could torment him. And he says, so my father will do to you if you do not forgive others. Do you get it? So the warning, you have the authority. You have the power. But be careful when you look at somebody and say, I can't forgive that. I can't forgive that. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. That's a scary authority that you have. You delegate authority to others. Yes? And you ought to let them use it. I didn't choose for us not to sing two of those verses from First Noel this morning. That was Justin's. He has... Ooh, I'm going to burn my hand. He's going to... Dele- he's going to... De- I delegated that authority to him. Does it make sense? He didn't have to ask me whether it was okay. He just told Anna we're going to do it. So when Gabrielle was playing, I went up to Gabrielle and I said, hey... We're only singing four verses. I didn't say to her, Justin decided we weren't singing verse three and four. My favorite verses. No, anyway, they weren't. But, but, you get, but that's how we act, isn't it? That's how we act. But when you delegate authority, you delegate authority. But ultimately, you can't delegate what? Responsibility. God has given you a special privilege. I need to move on with it. So, understand who you are in Christ you have greater authority than I think you maybe realize that you have. That's why we are to go out and share the gospel, the good news, so people can understand and enjoy the forgiveness that you have enjoyed, the pardon that you have. But we've got to move on. So the second half, Jesus' second visit, he gives them the message. Okay? First of all, Thomas's reaction. He sees Jesus. Jesus you know, says, put your fingers in here, put your finger there, hand there. And he comes back with, my Lord and my God. Again, I don't have time to go into this, but you can imagine what this means. You know, the, calling him Adonai, calling him his, his, um, his God is El. I can't promise you that Yahweh is in here, but I'm wondering whether he even calls him Yahweh at this moment, right? But regardless, even if he calls him Adonai in, in Elohim, he calls him my Lord and my God, Jesus at this very moment should do what? Call him on the carpet and say, no, you can't, no, no, worship God and him only that you serve. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus comes back and says, because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Do you get it? Again, Jesus is not denying the fact that he is who? He's God. If you need any more proof, where does Jesus ever say he's God? There is ample places where Jesus says it. He's, Thomas is falling down and worshiping him. He should be pulling him back up. Doesn't do it. But then John does a reaffirmation at the very end of this. And says, look, these things that I've written, there's a purpose for what I, I wrote them. I wrote that you might believe that Jesus is Messiah the Son of God, and that believing you might have what? Life in his name. What is your message? Well, as you go out, you've been given the authority, right? And he's sending you out to do something. What is he sending you out to do? What's the core of your message, really, honestly? Say again? Well, love, it's, 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 love is involved in it, okay? 
But it's the fact that Jesus is, is God. Do you get it? John 8, 24. Unless you believe that I am, I am, you're going to die in your sins. Thomas, you believe me only because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Do you get it? It's the core of everything we believe that Jesus is God. He had to be God to die as a perfect sacrifice on the cross for you. If he was only a man, he couldn't have been the perfect sacrifice. Do you get it? God, holy, 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 became incarnate. That's what we're talking about. With this. That's why this season for me is so special for me. I can't comprehend this. It's mind-boggling for me. This eternal, infinite God who spoke all things into being, who's holy, 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 took upon flesh in order that he might be my sacrifice. My sacrifice. Even if none of you existed, he would have done it for me. Even if none of us existed, he would have done it for you. Isn't that kind of cool? And so, yes, what great love is extended into all that. That's the message. It's not bad news. It's not evil news. Yes, you're telling them that they're going to be condemned if they don't believe. But you're not going out with that message. Hey, man, you're going to hell. That's not the message. The message is that Jesus was God in the flesh, and he loved you so much that he came to the earth to pay the penalty of your sins. And as we talked about in First Peter with Sunday School, once you've tasted of that, once you've tasted of the grace of God, the graciousness of our God, you're not going to want anything else. You want to continue to devour it. So, in the end, are you fearful? Are you fearful of taking a stand for Jesus? Be honest. He knows. I mean, if it's true, if you... I mean, there are many times. I mean, that's why, again, I, I've shared this in the past, but it's true. For Steve and I to go together, it's a good thing because we're holding each other accountable, go knocking on doors. I'm yelling about chicken liver and so is he. Although he's better than I am. Actually, you, Steve is growing in that. I mean, Steve, Steve has become the evangelist. So it's kind of hard for me, the guy who doesn't talk, becoming an evangelist. Anyways, and so, but down at the, the Croc Center, at the Y, at Doctor's Hospital, it just thrills my heart. I mean, I, I know I've told you, but that's just true. It just thrills my heart every time I hear about all the places he's going out and he's evangelizing. It puts me to shame. Does that make sense? Because I'm the professional. I ought to be doing this, you know? But that's what it's all about, going out and doing it. Are you trusting that the Holy Spirit indwells you and will guarantee your redemption? It's not about you. Do you fear like you can lose your salvation? Like you're not going to be good enough? You're not going to measure up? You, don't do it. You're basically saying to God, I don't trust you. It's all about him. Is Jesus truly then your Lord and your God? This is what it really comes to the boil point. Is he your Lord and is he your God? How faithful you are declaring that message to the world. And then finally, is there a need to change the way you think and change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. It's true, it's quick, it's powerful. It's sharper than the twinges sword. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful, to go forth with your message, Lord. The message of redemption, the message of salvation, that you, God, came to the earth to pay the penalty of our sins in order that we might receive the adoption to be your children that we might be able to have this exousia lord it's again it's nothing about us 
Help us not to focus necessarily on that exousia pridefully, but Lord, to understand it as a gift from you that we might go forth boldly, sharing what you have done for us with others. In Christ's name, amen.